Are you trying to create a podcast but don't have the money for all the equipment it takes? Maybe not so great with all the editing? Not sure how to distribute your podcast once you have everything recorded? Well, look no further because Anchor is here to help. Anchor is the easiest way to make podcasts. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your computer or phone. Anchor will also distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can also make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. And best of all, it's free. We looked at so many different distribution websites before finding Anchor and wish we had found it sooner. They even set you up with sponsors they think will fit the vibe of your podcast, which you can accept or decline at any time. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Happy podcasting! This week on Morbidly Intoxicated, we're going to give you stories of people who survived. A not-so-mini-mini. Yeah. (laughs) Hey, you want to grab a drink? Hi, Sierra. Oh, it was recording that whole time? (laughs) (laughs) Let me me start again. Okay. Hi, Sierra. Hi, Lily. How are you this week? I'm cold. (laughs) It's like 50 degrees in Phoenix. It's ridiculous. Yeah, it was literally, it got down to like 30 yesterday. It was like, it was flurrying here and it was hailing where I was. Gross. Yeah. No, thank you. There's ice, like, collecting on my windshield. It's like, um, I thought I lived in Arizona, <laughs> so I don't really know what this is. I thought this was the desert. <laughs> right. I sent it to my boyfriend, and I was like, what the fuck is this? Because he's, he's from Washington, and so he's always like, it doesn't get cold here. It doesn't snow here. Like, he brought it. He needs yeah. to leave. <laughs> so I was like, what is this stuff? Um, like, there's ice on my windshield. <laughs> Thank you guys for waiting an extra week. I know we took a hiatus and then only did one episode and then skipped another week. Somebody got sick. I was so sick. It was not COVID. It was not COVID. It was not COVID. <laughs> I just could not talk. Like, <laughs> it sounded really bad. You got bronchitis. But yeah, thanks for waiting, guys. So we've got three stories packed into this episode for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're going to tell you some survival stories. Give you a little bit of hope. Yeah, um, we we figured we would do kind of like a three-in-one how we did with the mini-murders just because there's there's not a lot to these cases. I mean, I'm sure we could drag them out in an hour-long episode, but... We definitely could. We definitely Knowing could. Us. <laughs> <laughs> We're not going to do that because they're pretty cut and dry. I mean, when a person survives, you normally know right. who did it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There's not all of that jazz. Yeah. All right, let's do it. So my story is about Jennifer Mori. Ooh. That rhymed. How fun. <laughs> a couple shout outs. I first heard about this case from My Favorite Murder. So I think I heard a couple years ago. I actually fell asleep listening to this case. And, <laughs> and this one stuck with me because it, it's scary. And I had a nightmare like about it. The same night? Yeah, the same night. Oh my gosh. It was horrifying. Don't listen to podcasts and go, to go to sleep to. No. Yeah, very scary. There's actually a show that Lifetime used to do called I Survived. Yes. And that's how they heard about it. I could not find the episode because this girl was on that show and I can't find it to watch. So mm-hmm. if you find it, 
let me know because <laughs> I'm dying know. to watch it. Email us, please. Yeah, I'm like, I really want to watch it. And then I also listened to Morbid's episode of this case. Morbid has a lot of really good survived. I feel mm-hmm. like Crime Junkie does have a lot of good episodes, but they cover more of like mysterious disappearances and yeah. murders and stuff like that. They don't really cover um, like survived too much. Yeah. But Morbid definitely does those. Yeah. And then My Favorite Murder does because uh, one of the hosts is obsessed with the I Survived. And she got me into that show. Don't at me. I haven't listened to... Um, uh, to the podcast? No. Yeah, I was just going to say that. If you guys haven't listened to the I Survived podcast from A&E, you got to listen to it. It's only like 15 episodes. I'm so bummed. And the last time they posted was like the middle of last year. I meant like, <laughs> I meant I haven't listened to My Favorite Murder. Oh, I thought you were talking about I Survived. I haven't listened to that either. So you have failed me in both places. You haven't yes. listened to my favorite murder. You got it. It's really funny. I know. It's, it's actually more of a comedy podcast. That's how they're, like, their genre is, like, true crime <laughs> comedy. Really? Yeah. Huh. Um, They're hilarious. <laughs> I always feel really bad when I'm like, ooh, this one's gonna be fun. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's, I literally always think of my favorite murder. They say some of the worst shit and beautiful now they're hilarious but they do talk a lot so do they we. have long intros it's like fun. really long intros which oh, shout out to them though i love them they're so they're so funny man. one of them's actually a stand-up comedian so oh seriously yeah that's goals no that's how that's how morbid is too like before they started putting all of their patreon subscribers at the end of the episode mm-hmm. it was like 10 minutes in the beginning i was like let's get to yeah, it yeah no they have episodes <laughs> where they have like a 45 minute intro oh my god of them talking about like random things we'll get there. or shout out oh probably probably <laughs> sometimes it's like merch sales or tickets to like tours oh, and stuff but they're still sense. hilarious yeah sometimes you gotta do a little bit of skipping <laughs> a little bit of skipping but anyway, so that's where I heard about those, and I've listened to those, and then I got most of my information from HoustonPress.com, mm-hmm. and it's their article titled False Sense of Security. So just wanted to shout out my sources in the beginning. Ooh. So, on April 15th, 1995, 25-year-old Jennifer Mori, a Houston, Texas lawyer, went out for drinks with friends. Around midnight, a friend of hers drove her back to her apartment at Bayou Park Apartments. When she got home, she checked all her doors and windows. She was really big on security, so mm-hmm. every night she checked, like, make sure everything was locked up. And she actually picked that apartment complex because they had a 24-hour security guard and a system run by Pinkerton Security, which is a really well-known um, security company that's been around since, like, the 1850s. Right. And they have a... There's, their history is actually really cool, but... Don't they have a really good reputation, too? Um... For the most After part. this, they, <laughs> nice. they made, yeah, we'll get there. But yeah, they do, they've been around since 1850, so they have a really good reputation. They're mm-hmm. a really big security company. Okay. So that's why she moved into this apartment, it's because of all that. Well, that's good. She checked, she checked everything. Yeah, like she should. was really big on security, which, same. Good, yeah. So she checked all her doors and windows, and she went to bed. At around 4 a.m., she awoke to a man on top of her, holding a knife to her neck. That is a terrifying image to me. Could you imagine? She literally woke up to a person on top of her. I could not. Dude, what? And it was a man. It was probably like a like a heavy. Yeah, like, he was a, a larger, well yeah. fit man. Yeah, exactly. Well, the reason I say heavy is because men always tend to weigh more than women. Yeah. So it's just all that weight 
Yeah, she just, oh. oh, God, that's the part that stuck with me, and that was, like, a big part of, like, the my nightmare, and I was like, just, you just go to sleep, and you wake up with someone on top of you, like, what the fuck? No, and of course she checked all <clears throat> her windows and stuff, and they were all fine. Right. Of course. <laughs> the one time someone breaks in. Right. She actually did what she was supposed to do. Right. And someone's still broken. The man held the knife to her neck, and he started undressing himself and trying to get her clothes off. When she realized he was going to try to rape her, she started fighting back. Right. Because, obviously, she's like, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> but, so she starts fighting back, like, crazy, and mm-hmm. he tells her, calm down, Jennifer. <gasps> Ew, he knew her he name. Kn- her name. <sighs> she recalled afterwards, she said, I tried so hard, and I couldn't recognize the voice. I had no clue. But that just made it so much scarier that he knew my name. Was but he, she didn't know who it was. Was he wearing, like, a face cover or something, or was it just um, because it was dark? I think it was just because it was dark. Because I was tried dark. to find that and it didn't say that mm-hmm. he was wearing a mask. But she never saw his face. Okay. Like, yeah, because she was sleeping in a dark room. Yeah, So 4 a.m. Yeah, he said, calm down, Jennifer. The fuck? No. Ugh. I don't appreciate that. So, she continued to struggle with her attacker. And in the midst of it, he sliced her face <gasps> nearly ear to ear with the knife. Like a chin strap? Mm-hmm. Oh my god. Yeah. So, blood began pouring everywhere, all over the bed and all over him, and he drug her by her hair to the bathroom (gasps) and threw her in there and closed the door behind her. He told her that if she came out, he'd kill her. Terrified, she wedged her back against the bathroom door, pressing her feet against the bathtub in order to block herself in, because Mm -hmm. the bathroom didn't have a lock on it. Okay. So, she listened and she heard the man zip up his pants, and then moments later, she heard her front door close. She sat there for a while, afraid it might be a trap that he, or that he was coming back. Right. But eventually she realized that she needed to get help because she's literally Leaning. pouring blood. Yeah. She finally mustered up the courage and tried to leave the bathroom to get the phone. However, she had wedged herself so tightly against the door that she jammed the door shut so she couldn't get it open. Oh, man. Yeah. So after she realized that she had basically locked herself in, she, she recalls later, she said she actually laughed at that point. She said, I'd fought off my attacker, and now I was going to bleed out because I couldn't open a door that didn't even have a lock on it. (laughs) like, mood. At least she had a sense of humor. Yeah. So she grabbed the towel, wiped off as much blood as she could, she was finally able to yank the door open, and she stepped out into a black apartment. Right. So she tried the light switch, and the power was off. Of course. Yeah. So she eventually stumbled her way through the darkness, and she found her phone. Which, keep in mind that this was, um, 1995, so she had this giant brick phone. <laughs> I just want to set the scene with that. Was it a, was it a cell phone or, like, a home phone? Or? No, it was, like, her cell phone. It was, like, oh one of the God. first phones, so it's okay. a massive brick phone. Right. You're like, at least you could use that as a weapon if with, it comes back. With the tiny little flap right. that flips down. <laughs> Love those phones. We'll post a picture. <laughs> <laughs> if you don't know what you're too young (laughs) yeah you're too young to be listening to this podcast Uh, so she found her phone and then she ran back to the bathroom and locked herself back in Mm -hmm. and called 911 that night a man named richard everett was working his very first shift as an emergency dispatcher oh my gosh i this was the first call he'd ever taken as an emergency dispatcher oh yeah and he's a badass And, and richard's amazing Richard, Christian, you guys are doing it. Right. Doing the most. So the dispatcher keeps her calm and he tells her, like, apply a clean towel to your wound, make sure you keep pressure on it, the police Mm -hmm. are on their way. Right. 
A few moments later, there was a knock on her apartment door. Jennifer told the dispatcher someone was knocking, and he told her to ask who it was. Mm -hmm. Um, The man identified himself as Brian Gibson and said that he was working security in the building. She informed Richard on the phone, and he told her not to let him in. He assured her that the police were on their way and that they hadn't spoken to security in her building yet. Uh, The security guard became slightly frantic, saying that he saw a man jump from her balcony. He tried to fight him off, but he got away. He just wanted to know if she was okay and if he could help. Mm-hmm. Jennifer told him, I'm fine. Like, the police are on their way. I'm not gonna, I'm not letting you in. And he kept demanding to be let in because he wanted to make sure that she was okay. Right. Eventually, she heard the sirens, and it seemed like the security guard had left. Police arrived minutes later, and they spoke to Brian, the security officer, and he told them the same story. A man had jumped from her balcony and attacked him he tried to fight him off whatever right but the guy got away Mm -hmm. and he had like scratches and everything on him so the his story seemed to check out so police detained him for questioning to get a formal statement and went to secure the rest of the scene while paramedics helped jennifer they went and checked around like her balcony but they didn't really see any signs of a struggle Uh Uh, so they went up to her apartment to take a look at the scene as they searched her apartment they found a bloody knife men's underwear and a pinkerton security hat Oh, shit. A Pinkerton security hat. Oh, shit. When they searched Brian Gibson, they found he was missing both his hat and his underwear and had recently shaved his pubic hair, which they believe was an attempt to avoid leaving evidence. Let me... I have so many thoughts. First of all, when I first heard this story, I was like, what they found? Oh, my God. It was a security guard. He came back. Bruh. She didn't even know who he was. He would have gotten away with it. Yeah. Also, I I laughed so hard that he shaved his pubic hair because I feel like I've read so many stories where they were like, shave their head clean, shave their pubes, no evidence. Yeah. I was like, bro, you still have fingerprints yeah, and, and DNA spin. and yeah, all sorts of shit. Ugh. Also... He threw her in the bathroom, and she locked herself in there because she's terrified, and he just puts his pants back on without his underwear and leaves. Like, he just leaves all this evidence. Like, I'm glad he did, and we would have caught him anyways. He's an idiot. Right. But you had the time to clean up your shit. Yeah. Like, you're so, you shave enough to not leave evidence, but you leave your underwear and your security hat behind. And this knife and the, that's covered and in the your And the potential murder weapon. Yeah. Like, attempted murder weapon. What the? Dude, you're not very smart. No, he's not. <laughs> and so, that's why they believe that he went back later. He either realized that or was going back to finish her off. Right. The only thing is, she said he left out the front door. So... Why didn't he just come back in the front door? Right, it would have been unlocked. Yeah, I've always wondered that. Maybe he tried to pretend it wasn't him. <laughs> right, I was like, I think that he was just trying to maybe play it off or something. Right. Are you okay? And then she or would let she... him in. Right. And... Yeah. But, like I said, he's not very smart. So, obviously, we spoiled it, but Jennifer survives. <laughs> <laughs> Surprise! Yeah. Which I so. cannot believe she survived because didn't he almost hit like a major Oh artery? yeah. I'm, I'm getting there. Sorry. This is my story, Lily. I'm sorry. <laughs> so when Gibson slashed her with the knife, he missed her right jugular vein by a couple millimeters. <gasps> millimeters. She could have died. Literally. She would have bled out. Yeah. Like in a couple minutes. I'm surprised she didn't because being that close, like. Yeah. Fuck. 
He caught the corner of her right eye, but <gasps> didn't damage her eyeball. The gash she caused was so deep, doctors had no clue how her facial nerves were still intact. And um, she was wearing a gold chain necklace at the time that caught the knife and stopped it from piercing her larynx. Jennifer is quoted saying, there was a series of little miracles that prevented me from dying. Oh, I love that. Like millimeters. <laughs> That's seriously nuts. So, while Jennifer is now doing amazing, she believes that Pinkerton should never have employed someone like that in the first place. A simple look into Gibson's Pinkerton file shows multiple complaints from residents about harassment that led to him being reassigned to different buildings. Another complaint led him to being moved to the graveyard shift rather than being fired. The graveyard shift. The perfect shift for him to prey on young, vulnerable women at night. Right. I was going to say the one where there's (laughs) like everyone's asleep and you just go do whatever he wants. People who think that they live in this extremely safe building because it's... Run by one of the, like, highest-rated security companies. <laughs> how did they not find that before hiring him? I'll tell you how. Because <laughs> they didn't do any research. Oh, that's good. Jennifer Morey sued Pinkerton, and while looking into them, found out that between 1991 and 1995, in Texas, a Pinkerton guards were convicted felons. Holy shit. A hundred and thirty. Oh my in god. In a span of four years. That's a lot of fucking people. That's like f- almost 40 a year. Yeah. There are some felony charges that aren't like, that are kind of like bullshit charges. Yeah. But do you really still want those people running security? No. I mean, yeah, like Grand Theft Auto's a felony and it's like, okay, he stole a car, but like. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure there's people that don't view it that way, but. Right. You know. <laughs> In August 1992, a 15-year-old girl was walking home when a car cut her off and a man in a Pinkerton uniform got out and flashed his badge. He then handcuffed the girl, threw her into his car, drove her to the desert, where he raped her and shot her in the back of the head. She survived. Holy shit. And managed to crawl back to the highway where she was rescued. A routine check could have showed that the man had a felony firearms charge on his record. Um... What's up with all these stories where people are getting shot in the head and they're living? Yeah, are you? Is there some sort of vitamin I should be taking? Right, something in the water? I don't know. Yeah, she's literally shot in the back of the head and survived. I don't understand how that wouldn't cause like brain damage. Oh my god! I mean, it might have, but she lived. Right. Oh shit! I don't know. It didn't give me more of that story or her name, so I couldn't look it up. Oh. In 1993, a man got drunk with a group of his friends and decided to rob a liquor store. They shot four people, killing two of them. Mm-hmm. One of the shooters was employed at Pinkerton less than a year before. In 1995, Christopher L. Jones was sentenced to 30 years for murder. He was employed as a security guard for Pinkerton at the time. Who did he murder? One of the residents? Mm-hmm. It, didn't, it didn't say. After these instances, and with the evolving technology, Pinkerton cracked down on their vetting process. They now use a much more in-depth background check. They also upgraded their psychological evaluation after realizing the test they were using was a summarized version that didn't cover all the aspects needed. They used this psychological evaluation test, basically, Mm -hmm. and the whole test is like 500 and some odd questions, and they were using a summarized version that was only like 140 questions. And this this is the test that's supposed to show like predisposition to violence and stuff and like red flags of people you don't want to hire. We should take this test. We should. But yeah, they were using a summarized version. 
Oh, they're like, shit. And it, it didn't even cover, like, anything. That they, yeah. Like, that's barely anything. Were background checks not a thing? They were, but they weren't using, like, a very updated one. And it was 95, so computers are new. That's nuts, because <laughs> I had, like, a background check for Wendy's. Oh, yeah. They background check for every everything. job now. Yeah. Jennifer moved to Woodlands and resumed her job as an attorney, but a few weeks later suffered a breakdown after seeing an unidentified man walking around her office floor. Oh. Yeah. She began staying with her mother and was unable to leave her side for the longest time. She said that she would call 911 at the smallest noise and was terrified to be alone. Oh, no. Yeah, she's, she said that, like, her cat would make a noise and she'd call 911. She I mean, was I'd, terrified. I'd rather her do that than not, you know? Right. At Thanksgiving, nearly seven months after her attack, her brother pulled her aside and told her that she needed to get a grip and snap out of it. Oh, shit. She said it worked, and she began applying for jobs, switching between a few different ones. She was doing better again until she found out that Gibson was sentenced to only 20 years. That's it? Yeah. But she said she tried to hang on to her job and the friends she's made there for support. 20 years. That's fucking it. For basically attempted murder. And rape. I feel mm-hmm. like I feel like people on drug charges get more than that. Some of these child molesters get like six months and I'm mm-hmm. like, fuck you. You're like, what? And sexual offenders are have an extremely high recidivism rate. Like they will repeat. I think for rapists and sexual predators it's like an eighty five percent recidivism rate. Like that's how likely they are to repeat. That's fucking insane. It's crazy. That's insane that he only got 20 years, too. Mm-hmm. He's out. I know. Right? 95? So that'd be five, five, Yeah, 2015. He would have got out in 2015. So she eventually met her husband and, sa- and says that she's very proud of her life. Jennifer says, quote, I have a theory that the Jennifer Mori that existed on April 15th, 1995 died and that a new one had to come out of that. Oh, I love that. And that is all I have. She's out there living her life. She's a badass. She's in a bunch of interviews. I want to say she wrote a book. Don't quote me on that. But she's awesome. She's actually friends with um, the hosts of My Favorite Murder. Like, they actually met her and they're friends. Mm -hmm. Oh, and also, the 911 uh, operator, Richard, was actually at her wedding. Oh, Yeah, they're, they're still friends to this day. I love that. Yeah, I was like... That's just That's so sweet. So heartwarming. He's literally at her wedding. What? It was his first 911 call. Oh <laughs> my god, could you imagine? And now he has like a best friend out of it and and saved her life. Like That's so nuts. Yeah. Oh. He's like clocking into work for the first time. He's probably nervous, I would imagine. Oh my grandma being a 911 operator. Yeah, my grandma was a 911 dispatcher and she was like, I got some of the worst calls. Oh yeah. I wanna say Mm. At the end of the story, how she, you know, how she was calling 911 on the smallest things. Mm-hmm. Do that. Do not feel bad to call 911. Literally. That is their job. <laughs> yeah. I mean, don't be like, some people call them like, they literally have people that call them for the smallest things. They're like paranoid. So try not to be like that. But Try not to be like that. But I mean, like, there's like these little old ladies that will just sit there and call 911 like 18 times in a day. They're like, I saw some man in my neighborhood I've never seen before. <laughs> And they're like, I'm sure it's fine. <laughs> I'm sure it's fine. No, but like... But no, if you think something's wrong, call 911. Like, I literally <laughs> saw a big... You know those big um, 
plastic tubs mm. that you can put things in, like you use to store things. Yeah. I saw a black one closed off to the side of the road, and I was like, should I call 911? Right. <laughs> it's things like that. It's like hard to know, too. You see like a pile of trash bags in like an odd place, and you're just like, mm-hmm. is it weird to call 911 for that? Because like... Or you can, you also don't have to call 911. You can call, call non-emergency. Yeah. Or just call your local precinct and be like, I know this probably sounds weird, but it's just a little suspicious. Right. They'll come out. They'll check it out for you. Yeah. So that one was terrifying. It's horrifying. <laughs> yeah. Horrifying. Awful. Yeah. The next story I have is not any better. This is the story of Jamie Kloss. She was only 13 when she was abducted on October 15th, 2018. When officers arrived at the Kloss house, they thought it was a murder-suicide. The first person found dead was the father, and the second was the mother who was in the bathroom. They also found a trembling dog (gasps) hidden behind their washer-dryer unit. He was so scared of whoever had just come in and killed her parents. Oh my god. He was trembling. That's so sad. The police would discover that they passed Jake jamie's captor with jamie in the trunk on their way to the Kloss house to investigate yeah like they drove past him they drove past jake in his car but they did not know that they were looking for jake at that specific yeah i would imagine sorry i just i just gave it away who it was but his name's jake that's so eerie jake had put duct tape over jamie's mouth head hands and ankles and threw her in the trunk before leaving the scene of the crime He had tried to come back once before, but bailed. He was going to come abduct her before and said, no, you know what? Never mind. I'm going to, I'm going to go. Okay. The police followed many tips, interviewed hundreds of people, and even hired an astrologer who believed that Jamie was dead near her home in a lake or pond. When police scanned the nearby lakes and ponds, they found nothing. Is that like a psychic? Kinda, yeah. Okay. I guess, I, I don't know how they found this astrologer, but... They were like, oh, this astrologer believes that Jamie's dead. Or we, they were following everything. Interesting. Like, everything. This is not the Scott Peterson they were following everything. <laughs> this is a real one. This is a real, like, they were following everything. <laughs> Thankfully, though, um, we know that Jamie's not dead. That's good. She's very much alive and thriving. However, she did endure 88 days of captivity before she escaped. 88? Holy... I have to pull up a picture of Jake's house because, let me tell you, it's in the middle of the fucking woods. Horrifying. This is an aerial view of the house she was in. I mean, it's close-ish to a road, but, like, there's no other houses around it. That's so scary. Yeah. Yeah, there's, like, just a... It's kind of dense forest. Yeah, it's very dense forest. But that road is probably a good bit away. Yeah, the road's probably a good, I'd say, like, 20 like not yards like yeah it's probably like at least 50 yards you think so yeah it's gonna look like closer because it's an aerial view yeah but it's it was probably quite a walk decent yeah yeah while she was in the house jake made her stay under the bed whenever he left for work or to run errands or even had guests over he threw a whole ass party with her right upstairs hiding under his twin bed and the way he made sure she didn't leave was he put these bins full of weights all around the bed so if she tried to move he would hear the box being pushed oh my gosh jake never had a record of any violence he had joined the marines right out of high school but was later discharged 
it didn't say if it was honorable or dishonorable. Mm-hmm. Of course. This is when his fantasies about abducting a younger girl went crazy. He spotted Jamie getting off a school bus, and that's how he decided to kidnap her. Was okay. he already had these fantasies, and then he saw her get off a bus, and he was like, her. That's the one. I'm gonna take her. Okay, what the hell? 88 days after she was captured, Jake had gone out for the day, and he wasn't supposed to return until, like, midnight. So she had quite a few hours where she was supposed to just stay under that bed. Mm-hmm. That's when Jamie decided to move the weights and run to a woman named Jean, who was nearby off off to the road, uh, walking her dog. She happened to be a social worker. Love that. Yes. <laughs> she said Jamie's hair was dirty and matted. Um, she was wearing the same clothes, almost, as when she had gotten kidnapped. And she was also wearing a pair of Jake's dirty tennis shoes. So she could run out of the house. Jean brought Jamie to the closest neighbor and proceeded to call 911. When the cops picked up Jamie, she told them everything and Jake was arrested shortly after. Here's the best part (laughs) that I read in this article. The article that I read is from Mm -hmm. people.com. And this is kind of talking about what happened to her and where Jamie is now. So Jamie, after hearing over the police like radio, because she was in the car when he got arrested, that he was arrested... One of the officers in the front seat saw her smile, like a like a sigh of relief almost. Oh my gosh, I love that. Once in custody, Jake confessed to the murders of Jamie's parents as well as kidnap. He did, however, say that nothing sexual had happened between him and Jamie for the simple fact of guilt. What? He said he felt guilty for killing her parents so he didn't touch her. But he did have fantasies of sexually abusing her. I don't know what to do with that information. I... I was like, oh, you feel thank, bad? Thank you. You feel guilty? Oh, sorry. <laughs> he did, however, try to offer her weed and alcohol, and she said no. Okay, real glad that he didn't sexually assault her, but what did he do with her the whole time? Why was she there? Oh, she hung out with him. They watched TV together. <laughs> he was just lonely. He just wanted a friend. Yeah, he lived all so by he himself. kidnapped himself one? What the? Okay. Interesting. So he is serving two life sentences for the murders of Jamie's parents and 40 years on top of that for kidnap. That's a charge. That's a damn sentence. That's a damn sentence. So the good part of that article that I read is that Jamie made a full turnaround. She didn't let this stop her in any way. She lives with her aunt and uncle um, and her parents' home that she lived at was demolished actually. Oh, nice. Her aunt said she enjoys dance, school activities, and spending time with her friends. Love that. Yeah, so she's doing fantastic. She is 16 years old, so she is right in high school. Yeah. That's insane. But that's that's it for Jamie Kloss. Okay. Damn, um, girl. Okay. I remember listening to that one first from Morbid. Yeah. Um, And they did such a good job on it. That was probably one of their hour and a half episodes, but like, like her story is so incredible. That is so crazy. incredible. 88 days. Whoa. Yeah. She didn't eat or drink for like an entire week either. What? Yeah. So for her to go that long and then she was just there like, like I said, watching TV with him, playing board games, playing outside. They went outside and she did not run away. And she waited for the the perfect opportunity to go run yeah. into a social worker's arms. I love that that social worker was... Was just walking walking her dog. dog. That's some, like, fate right there. The next one. All right, give it to me. Let's go. (laughs) 
The next one is uh, about Colleen Stan. Do you know this one? Vaguely. So Colleen Stan was 20 years old on May 19th of 1977. She was hitchhiking out of her hometown of Eugene, Oregon. This is the one with the... Yes. I'm sorry. I. This is the one where where her legs and arms get chopped off? Is this this one? No. Oh, okay. No, that's, that's the other one. I'm going to do that one. Don't worry. Wow, I just spoiled it. Because you hadn't heard about it. I know this one, though. I know the name. Anyways, that's not important. I'm getting there. (laughs) She was hitchhiking out of her hometown of Eugene, Oregon, when she was picked up by a couple with a baby. She had just turned down a ride from a group of men, but accepted the ride from Cameron and Janice Hooker because they did have a baby, so they had to be trustworthy. When Colleen got in the car, they held her at knife point and took her to Red Bluff, California, where Colleen was forced out of the car and out of her clothes before she was hung from the rafters in the basement by her hands. When she was hung up, she was whipped multiple times before the couple uh, started to have sex below where she was hanging. What? Yeah. So she was like dangling with her hands tied and having to watch these people that just kidnapped her at knife point and like have sex. No thanks. Later down the road, she was forced to sign a master-slave contract. After this, she was kept for seven years. Cameron and Janice mostly kept Colleen in a box shaped like a coffin until they were ready to take her out and have sex with her. She was also let out so they could make her do housework as well as abuse her. There's something that they've threatened Colleen with, which is why she was there for seven years. She didn't try and run away. She didn't try and contact anybody for seven years because they made up this group called The Company Mm. and said that if she tried to escape or try to get in contact with anyone without their permission, The Company would kill her and her entire family. They Mm -hmm. made it sound like The Company was watching them, almost like Big Brother. The captors made up this whole story and painted this picture of, like, what a bad group of people they were. Uh, Once Colleen was scared into staying with Cameron and Janice, they allowed her to start jogging by herself. In March of 1981, she was allowed to go visit her family for a 24-hour period, and sometimes Cameron even went with her as her new boyfriend. And there's a couple pictures of them where they just look happy and in love and it's disgusting oh my god it's so disturbing it is and we'll we'll post pictures of it because it's just such an eerie picture to look at and her family was like you know what okay i guess he i mean he's an older guy and this is kind of weird and we haven't heard from her in like two or three years yeah they didn't even hear from her for years yeah and then she shows up with this new boyfriend she's like oh i've been fine yeah and they were like, um, okay, I'm glad you're okay, but, uh, whatever. Yeah. In May 1984, she was even allowed to get a job at a local motel as a maid. She was so scared of the company, she never thought of leaving. Yeah, they, like, totally brainwashed her into mm-hmm. thinking that these people were real and they were gonna, like, kill her family and all that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's insane. So Janice was also fucked up in the head. You think? Janice made an agreement with Cameron that said he could keep a slave that he could force to do housework and abuse as long as the only person Cameron had sex with was Janice. But that wasn't the case. Janice was getting jealous of Colleen because Cameron had frequently gone down there to rape her. Janice. Janice. What the fuck? Like, that's where you draw the line, Janice? And in 1984, Cameron planned to go get another slave to keep with Colleen which is when Janice went to their pastor and told them the truth. Do you think the pastor's reaction was with that one? The pastor just said to leave the marriage. 
That is all he said. Wait, she told him the whole truth? Like, the, they kidnapped this girl? From what I read, yes. And he said, leave the marriage? He said, leave the marriage. Okay, what? He said, leave the marriage, which is when Janice came clean to Colleen about the company. Colleen immediately left, but called Cameron before she got on the bus. She was crying, saying it was hard to leave. So she had some Stockholm Stockholm Syndrome. Syndrome. About three months after Colleen left, Janice called the police and confessed uh, as well and told them everything about Cameron. She had second thoughts and actually destroyed certain evidence that would help lock Cameron up. But she took the stand against Cameron in exchange for immunity, which is bullshit. I think that's bullshit. Uh, Yeah. For immunity. Immunity. Cameron was sentenced to 104 years in prison for charges of sexual abuse, using a knife in an abduction, kidnapping, and rape. He is currently serving time at California's Substance Abuse Treatment Facility and State Prison in Cochrane. He was denied parole in 2014. He was supposed to serve another 15 years uh, before he could be eligible for parole. But because of COVID, they are letting some inmates out on emergency release, which means he could be released as early as this year. No, you can't let him out. With that whole COVID thing, too, because until they modified it, saying, like, obviously, dangerous, like, dangerous society and violent criminals aren't going to be released. Yeah. Before they modified it for that, Green River <gasps> could have gotten out. He oh. qualified for all of it, except oh. for the fact that he... Is murderer. I hate that. Mm-hmm. First of all, so there was like this big panic when they, because they like didn't um, review it like the Washington just for Washington. Mm-hmm. They didn't really like review it. They were just like, yeah, if you like meet these qualifications, they're like, hi, um, <laughs> Gary Ridgeway falls under that. You know, Green River. You killed like forty nine people, and they're like, oh wait, um, not if you're a murderer. <laughs> it's like. <laughs> You didn't think about that? And it's Washington. Washington has so many murders. Like, yeah. Oh they God. have some of the like most infamous killers in their prison right they now. They have so many murderers. They Well, they have the most infamous killer still alive now. That's Sam Little dead. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Sam Gary Little. Ridgeway's the second one. Yeah. Fuck. Crazy shit. I don't think you're ready for this twist. What twist? In the Colleen Stan case? No, in this episode. I have a surprise, uh, case. Oh. Oh, you did another one? Yeah. Okay. Well, I only did one story, so now I look like an underachiever. Sorry, I'm just an overachiever. No, I was... I was on, um, the website... Let me pull it up. But I was on the website researching about Colleen Stan. Uh Uh-huh. And that website is aetv.com. When I found another article... This is just a disclaimer before I go into our next surprise story. Um, This story does contain graphic content uh, covering rape, incest, and enslavement. If this is something that you're not comfortable with, please go ahead and skip the last couple minutes of this episode. So this is the story of Elizabeth Fritzl. What a fun name. Yes. they're, they're, uh, They're from Austria. Oh. So... Elizabeth Fritzl went missing August 28th, 1984, when she was 18 years old. Almost immediately, her mother, Rosemary, filed a missing persons report. There was no word for weeks, when suddenly this magic letter appeared out of nowhere, uh, saying it was from Elizabeth, uh, who was tired of her life and ran away. Mm -hmm. She was telling her parents, oh, 
I'm fine, don't worry about me, I'm safe, I just got bored of my life. So Joseph, the dad, told police he had no clue where she was, but she had mentioned that she wanted to join a religious cult a couple of times. I said, uh, okay. Right. But Joseph knew where she was. That morning of August 28th, in 1984, he called Elizabeth down to the basement, which they had just renovated, and said, hey, come help me carry this door down, down to the basement and get it all hooked up to the hinges. She said, okay, not a problem. Went down there, got the door fitted, and as soon as he got it fitted, he swung it open, which knocked her back into the next room. And he took a towel soaked in ether and knocked her unconscious. What the fuck? For our listeners that don't know, what is ether? It's like chloroform, isn't it? Yeah. Police stopped investigating and her case eventually went cold. But the family started receiving letters from from Elizabeth saying, you know, I'm still fine. I'm still living my new life. I'm okay. You know, no need for panic. But she was stuck in the basement for 25 years. She just leaned all the way back in her chair. 25 years? Yes. Her dad... Where's her mom? She doesn't know upstairs. she's in the basement? No, her mom's upstairs. She doesn't go in the basement? No. I'm, I'm getting to that. Okay. Oh my gosh. I'm getting there. <laughs> I'm getting there. <laughs> Joseph told the family that every time he went downstairs at 9 a.m. almost every day... Um, that he was working on plans for machines that he was planning to sell. Okay, Iron Man. <laughs> so I've been watching the Marvel movies lately, so. <laughs> Just down here working on my machines. Well, I think that's what he did How for... How vague. Yeah, I don't... It didn't say what kind of machines. It just said that what he did for work was drawing plans for machines. Or oh, whatever. okay. Yeah. So, okay. So kind of like a contractor almost? Yeah, or like a... Engineer. Engineer. Yeah. He went down to the basement, like I said, uh, three days days a week to almost every day. Um, For the first two years he had Elizabeth in the basement, he had left her completely alone, had brought, you know, probably food down there or whatever, but for the most part didn't touch her, didn't do anything... But after that, he I don't be- like that you said for the first two years. I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't like that. Um, for the next 23, he began to rape her almost nightly. Nope. No. I'm sorry. He forced Elizabeth to write the letters that they that they had began to receive out of nowhere. So it was in her handwriting, which he had then mailed from different mailboxes around the country. That's what? I'm trying not to laugh at your faces. (laughs) I hate this. This is horrible. Yeah. it, It doesn't get any better. During the rape, he used chains and restraints to kind of hold down his daughter. His daughter. His own daughter. This next sentence, I never thought I'd have to say in a million years. probably add a disclaimer. Elizabeth had seven of her father's children during that 25 years. What? Like, had the kids? Like, babies? Yes. This is how Where he... are they? Oh, I'm getting there. <sighs> One died just three days after birth, uh, which Joseph then took and incinerated his remains in, uh, in the basement. 
The other six, Joseph put on their doorstep to then be raised by Rosemary. Excuse me? So he had placed them there as, like, children who were abandoned. Do I look like an orphanage? Like, Rosemary just didn't think, why Why our house? Why have six, six babies shown up on our doorstep? Six. Can I talk to Rosemary? Can I talk <laughs> She's to probably Rosemary. dead. This was in the 80s, but... Probably. What do you mean? God, that's so many kids. Uh, spoiler alert, the dad's still alive. So Rosemary might still be alive, actually. They're all she wasn't, still alive. She wasn't questioning how, no. how, why, Mm-mm. mostly why, six babies showed up on her doorstep? Nope. It gets so much worse. And then first- Was so- this a soundproof? I'm gonna just assume it was soundproof. I'll have to show you pictures, but it was like this really thin entrance way. So you would walk down to the basement and it was a thin entrance- And then it was, like, a whole, like, she had a bedroom, she had a bathroom, she had a kitchen, she had a shower. She had, like, it was almost like an entire other house, like a mini house. Almost like a, like a one-room apartment, kind of, but in a basement. don't like that no one seems to be asking questions. How do you not know your husband is building an entire apartment down there? How do you not know your daughter is in the basement I for 25 years? Yeah, for 25 years, that's, like, super impressive that he was able to hide that. I'm just gonna say that. That's, yeah, that's no, insane. That is. And, like, and six babies show up on your doors. I have some questions for Rosemary. And the one baby that he, he incinerated, I'm gonna <sighs> assume that burning flesh does not smell good. No, it doesn't. It's also really hard to incinerate a body without, like, a proper crematory. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. But it's nuts. What the hell? I have so many questions that these people should have been asking. <laughs> I was What's the 80s. What's always doing down there in the basement? If you ever find yourself wondering that about someone you know... Call I'd the be police. Worried. Call the police. <laughs> I don't feel like you should ever... Be- What's always doing down there in the basement? No. I'm not okay with that. Like, what the fuck? And they just renovated it, so I'm wondering if he was, like, planning this all along. Right, and so they just renovated it, so that's how he got, obviously, this entire mini apartment down there. So she just doesn't go in their newly renovated basement? Like, if I renovated my entire basement... I'd go down there. I'd be like, why am I never spending time in my newly renovated basement? How'd she never go down there? Well, I'm wondering if they renovated it so it could be his workspace. That's his workspace. And maybe he That's just, where... like, secretly added all that stuff. It's quite possible, yeah. And just told the contractors to add it, but didn't tell his wife. Mm-hmm. Something, I still got I don't some know. questions for her. <clears throat> Mostly on the baby thing. So, actually... Okay. One of Elizabeth's children, her name is Kirsten, who was 19, became extremely ill... She was in multi-organ uh, failure and was put into a medically induced coma. That could probably be the incest part. Uh, so at the hospital, the doctors realized that she was in terrible shape. Like, she was she was all sorts of, of not healthy. Okay. And the story was picked up by the media, and they were asking for the mother to come forward. What do you mean? Wait, what? 
Yes, because she was in such bad shape, like such poor oh, health. And they thought that this was literally a baby that was left on the doorstep. So they're looking yes. for the biological parents. So they said, hey, come forward. Your your baby is not, is not And they might have needed like a blood transfusion or something. Something. They're looking for the parents. Because <gasps> she, well, you have to think, you know, when you have sex with one of your family members, something does not mesh no, well with the children and they they have deformities yeah it's because you have too many of the same chromosomes or, right I don't know if it's chromosome, but too yeah. much of the same dna yeah and it cor- like basically corrupts the dna right exactly and so they noticed that they were like oh man she's in uh, multiple organ failure you know and she's just not healthy at all yeah completely unhealthy um and they they were outraged. They were like, um, yeah, I don't, I don't think this is, you know, ethical. This isn't right. There's something going on here. Right. And so the media was like, we need the mother to come forward. This is what blows my mind because after 25 years, Joseph let Elizabeth go to the doctors and, and, and the police and speak about her experience. After Wait. 25 years, she, he let her go. Wait, this is the daughter? I'm sorry, I got lost. I think I'm lost. Which one was sick? Um, Elizabeth's daughter. Da- okay, no, I had it right. So, because of this, he let Elizabeth out? Yes, he let because Elizabeth go. the daughter go. was sick? Yes. Okay, what? Yes. So he just let her out and he let her tell what he did to her? Yep. Just let her go. What in the world? Joseph blamed his childhood abuse for his actions. Fuck you, Joseph. So, after his arrest, um, pre-trial, he confessed to repeated rapes. He said it was an addiction. Oh, my God. That's disgusting. I think I just threw up in my mouth a little bit. It was an act of re- redirection um, of incestuous feelings for his mother. Oh, my God. So, he had an Oedipus complex that he took out on his own daughter. I fucking hate that. Because he was abused. <laughs> sorry i can't the, the imagery that i have like she turns 18 and he's like that what like what now he's attracted to her daughter because to his daughter because she's of legal age what the hell how do you get here and then he left her in there for two years Without i don't know like i don't have an issue with that but yeah right. he, it's just an interesting aspect like he left her in there for two years before he started raping her every day and having ancestral children with her i wonder if he was trying to use that time to groom her but like oh bruh gross well okay and then this is the messed up part this there's sorry st- <laughs> there's more it wasn't messed up enough for you okay what's what is it he claimed to love his children that he shared with his daughter uh buying and reading them books playing with them watching tv with them he was like an actual father to them. And he said, you know, I loved them. They were my children. Okay. What do you want? What am I supposed to do with that? <laughs> Isn't that so fucked up? Like, he loved his one daughter enough to love her. This, okay, that's great. Glad you loved them. Mm-hmm. Is that supposed to, what, give him fucking brownie points or something? I well, don't know. Well, at least know. he really did love the kids that he created with his daughter. Get out of oh. here. So I went online and looked up um, Kirsten because in the in the one article I was reading, it didn't say what kind of illness she had. It just mm-hmm. said that she had fell ill. And the like her bio 
is so weird. It's like mother, father, grandfather, um, like, yeah, it's listed. Yeah. Yeah. It's listed multiple times. I'm like, ugh. Yeah. Cause it is, ugh. So he was found guilty of rape, incest, uh, enslavement and murder of his child, the newborn. The prosecution argued that uh, he failed to provide medical care that could have saved that child's life. Uh-huh. They snuck that one in there. Right. Love that. I mean, oh. good. Fuck him. <laughs> yeah, love that. He has been serving life in prison since 2009, and he has also been in solitary confinement at a Austria Kremstein prison. He is currently suffering from dementia and has has never been visited by his family. Yeah. Not even Rosemary? No. Little Miss, I don't ask questions. <laughs> oh my god. I'm coming for her. That's insane. What? Leaving that in. <laughs> Come on. I don't even care. <laughs> Elizabeth is now living in a remote village um, with her serious boyfriend, who is 23. Oh, I love that. I know. He's 23. He was her bodyguard. What? She fell in love with her bodyguard? She's either... This story just got so much better. She's like 52 or 57 or something. But she yeah, lived... Yes, because she was 18, so mm-hmm. plus 25 is... Um, so she was... Fo- what? Holy shit. So she shit. was 43 in 2009. No. Yeah. Okay, so she fell in love with her bodyguard? She fell in love with, his bo- with her bodyguard. The rest of her life has been kept from the public for very good reasons. Yeah. Yeah. I love that... She fell in love with her bodyguard. That is amazing. And she lives in this remote village, like, surrounded by nobody. With somebody who she can trust with her life. I can't even imagine... I don't think I would trust being anybody. Being able to trust somebody again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's... What the... F- That's insane. I can't even process that story. For 25 years. Yeah, so the title of that article that grabbed my attention, why I... I thought I really needed to include it in this one, um, was Father Traps Daughter in Basement for 25 Years. I saw that and I was like, click, we're doing that one. Because, I mean, she lives. She survived. She has... He just let her out. Yeah, she has six children who are all actually healthy now. They all seem to be doing good. Did she talk to her children? Did it say? I... I read a couple things that are a little conflicting. What did her mother have to say? What? I, there was nothing from Rosemary. (sighs) There was a line in the article that was really chilling to me. Um, it said, oh, the, Joseph told police that, you know, he didn't know where she was, but in reality, she was 30 feet below right where the officer was standing. And I was like, I was like, hate that. Hate that so much. Really glad that's in there. Thanks. She was there. For 25 years. Thanks, Annie. <laughs> Thanks, Annie. Yeah, I just... While her mother thought she was missing her off starting a new life. When in a religious cult. Literally. I think I, I can't really let the basement thing slide, but okay. But when six babies show up on your doorstep... Yeah. Oh, six. Why are you not asking more questions? I mean, that's different if it was like one or two, but it was six. It would have been seven. Yeah. I was like, how are they getting all this money to fund yeah. all these kids? And of course, they're keep keeping all of them. Well, and then they grow up and they start to look like Elizabeth, That's or they what start I was just to look thinking. like Joseph. Yeah. Well, I looked up. I looked up Kirsten, and she looks pretty spot on with Elizabeth. 
it's a little nuts. That's insane. Yeah, that one I was just, I was reading it to see what it was. I was interested in it. And then I read it and I was like, okay, I have to tell Sierra about this one. Yeah, glad you did. That's, that is crazy. I yeah. can't even process that. Well, and I was writing all of these notes while I was at work today because I was like, oh, shoot, I need to write out my script. And I was like, this is terrible. I'm <laughs> reading this at work. Ugh. All these old people come in for watch batteries. You're like, Do you have a daughter in your basement? Well, damn. Yeah, that that was the end of our mini survived. This is probably going to end up being like an hour anyway, but yeah. Like our our short story, our short stories. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully you enjoyed that. At least just remember they survived. Yeah. <laughs> well, and they turned they they all turned their lives around, which is which yeah, is they awesome. Didn't, they didn't let it ruin them. All right, well, that's all we got then. That's all we got for this week. Um Thank you guys for sticking in and uh, we'll see you next week. Talk to you later. Bye.